Thank you for joining us in Finding God in Video Games. And today we're going to take a look back at some of the naming conventions that have occurred around some of the consoles that we know and love. Now, branding is an exceptionally powerful part of the gaming medium. Many licenses have either succeeded or failed simply due to the effectiveness of the marketing campaign and a catchy title. The console side of the business is no exception. Over the years, we've had an opportunity to gain a lot of insight into both the mindset and the future of a company by how they chose to identify their signature product. Take Sony, for example. They have a very disciplined approach to the brand, and that's exemplified by the simplicity of their naming system, foregoing any sense of creativity and simply labeling each successive system PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. Not a lot of creativeness there, but it is simple, it's easy to understand, and it's a reflection of their very straightforward consumer approach. Now, Nintendo, on the other hand, prefers to march to the beat of their own drum. They use mysterious code names like the Revolution, the Dolphin, or the NX before finally settling on very unique constructs such as the Wii, the Wii U, or now the Switch. Their playful and creative approach is clearly reflected in their branding choices. I mean, I don't even know what a GameCube is, but I know that I owned one. If we turn our gaze to the past, we'll find the bold but slightly overreaching gallery of console names from my favorite mistake, Sega. The promise of names like Genesis, Saturn, and Dreamcast conjure up larger-than-life visions that unfortunately none of those products were able to live up to, kind of like the story of Sega. Then you have Microsoft, a company that continues to try to think outside the box despite literally naming their product a box. I mean, while the Xbox brand name was certainly a catchy start, I'm I think we're all still trying to figure out what exactly were they trying to accomplish with the 360 name. And now we, we, we've, got, we've gone from the even more confusing Xbox One, which was not the first Xbox, it's actually Xbox Three or even higher if you're counting the various redesigns. And then once they had their new project that they originally codenamed Scorpio, which sounded kind of cool, then they changed its name to the very, very confusing Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S name that will probably have repercussions for many years to come as people continue to try to figure out in the course of history which one of these were even first. Whether we're looking at Sony, Nintendo, Microsoft, Sega, or any of the other console makers over the years, every one of them were trying, sometimes failing, to create a branding plan that would adequately describe their system to prospective buyers. And this whole process kind of reminded me of some scriptures where God chose to rebrand people by literally changing their name that aligned them with their true purpose. Now, you might be surprised how often that this actually happened. And any time that we see God do something more than once, there's a pretty good chance there's some insights to be gained from it that we can apply to ourselves. So let's start with one of the more infamous ones here. Abram, who was changed to Abraham, and Sarai, who was changed to Sarah. In Genesis 17, we find that the Lord was in the midst of making a covenant with Abram that would dramatically affect the course of human history. This was not immediately apparent at the time, though. Abraham was nothing more than a financially successful nomad who didn't have a single heir to his name. But the Lord sees all the way through to the end game. And despite Abram's advanced age and Sarai's empty womb, a promise was made. And to seal the deal on this, God decided that a full under new ownership sign would be planted on the birth certificates for each of them. Abraham had the misfortune of having a name that meant exalted father, 
which is a bit complicated when you consider he was rocking an empty cradle with Sarai. And the meaning of names back then held great importance, as we'll find over some of these other examples. So each time Abram had to introduce himself as the exalted father, it's likely you'd be asked, oh really, oh, how many, how many children do you have, Mr. Exalted Father? It's probably not a fun question to answer when the answer is zero. I'm assuming it would kind of be like me introducing myself to everyone with a name like Brad Pitt and then watching their amused looks of pity as they compare me to someone who I have very little in common with visually or otherwise. Other than the fact that we both have the same number of limbs, it's a bit of a poor match. Abram was reminded every day when he heard his name that he was a walking oxymoron a complete photo negative of what his name implied. So when God made this covenant with Abram, he went beyond mere words. He changed both the names of Abram and Sarai to Abraham and Sarah, with the explanation that simply being exalted father was actually setting a low bar. The Lord saw that the empty womb that Sarai had was a birthing point for not just many children, but an entire nation. Indeed, Abram's new name to Abraham meant father of many nations. The genealogy of much of the world can be traced back to this one man with a seemingly embarrassing and deceptive name. We may not put as much emphasis on names and their meanings in our current society, but we are all familiar with labels and how they can have a very similar impact on how we perceive ourselves, how we perceive God, how others perceive us, and how others perceive our relationship with God. For example, if I said the phrase, unmarried pregnant teenager, what is that? What does that make you think of? What mental picture is conjured in your mind? It's probably not a very flattering one, but labels can be deceiving. I was actually referring to Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ right there. It's funny how a preconceived notion about a label can skew our viewpoint. What if I asked you how you felt about a hypocritical, occasionally vulgar outdoorsman and whether or not he should be a pastor of a megachurch? What image comes to mind? Is it the Apostle Peter, who along with the other apostles had some very unflattering characteristics, looking down on Gentiles and Samaritans as lesser people, denying the Lord with curses? Probably not, but the label is accurate. So now my question to you, what labels do you carry, fairly or otherwise? Maybe we earned our poor reputation like Peter, or perhaps we were unfairly mischaracterized like Mary, but either way, we are not bound to those labels or the shame that they carry any more than Abram was left to carry a name that may have matched who he was, but not who he would be, nor how he'd be remembered. And if that hits you on the nose, rest assured, it does for me as well. Remember that the label we were born under and have carried for our entire life does not define us, and it's not how God sees us. To the world, Abraham was anything but a father, but to the Lord, he was the father of many nations. Just because it hasn't happened yet has no bearing on the view of the one who sees the end from the beginning, and he sees the finale to our story from the start as well, and has rejected the cruel inferences of how we have already been typecast. We are not the divorced one the broken one, the abused one, the angry one, or the useless one. Even if we have experienced those things, we are not defined as a convict, hopelessly addicted, or a lost cause. Now, we may have betrayed some people and disappointed others. We probably failed multiple times. I know I have. Welcome to the party. I'll join you at, the, at all of those tables. Those labels are not our future. And they're not going on our name tag in eternity. Let's embrace the name that he has given us, even if we're not fully looking like that name tag yet. Abraham didn't suddenly have a nation of children surrounding him when the Lord renamed him. 
but I have a pretty good feeling you know many of his children now. There's not a corner of this earth that has not been impacted by the nations of children that were just waiting to be birthed from Abraham. And the Lord has called us to birth something on this planet as well. The Lord did not fashion a single cell of our body that does not serve a purpose. And he didn't waste a single day of creation making something simply to say, nah, never mind on that. I don't know what I was thinking and wad it up and toss it away like a poor sketch on a piece of paper. He is very intentional about each life that he has granted. And while our purpose may not always be apparent, it is still baked into our name just the same. It's not always who we have been, it's who we are becoming and who we will be.